How many times uh, when I think about marriage that that clip runs through my head? I have been in serious moments, and I'm about to say the word marriage out loud, and in my mind I think marriage. I cannot help it. There are inappropriate times where that sticks in my mind. It's incredible to me how much a, a funny movie clip can just be can so permeate my head. That at times where I'm supposed to be serious, I'm chuckling inside. There are things that when we think about marriage that are probably stuck in your head. Some of you now have a new one because of that video clip. But most of you have some type of thought or some type of picture in your mind when you think about marriage. You would all uh, come from different places and you think about marriage. You're perhaps thinking about your parents, you're thinking about maybe your neighbors. Many of us share different thoughts about marriage because of movies. But the reality is, a simple thing like that video clip can stick so strongly in us that it actually begins to shape what we think when we think about marriage. The reality is that all of us, when we approach this topic, have ideas or an understanding of what we think is a good marriage and what we think would be a poor marriage. And when we think about those things, we are immediately thinking of sometimes people, oftentimes movie clips, but we're thinking about something. We're, we're, we have images that kind of pop up, movie clips, TV shows that all give us a picture of what that might be. For some of you, that picture is Leave it to Beaver. You think of that television show, and you, when you think good marriage, that's what you think. Some of you think The Cosby Show. Some of you think uh, of, of different ideas. Some of you think of your parents, and some of you, that's the illustration for bad. The reality that we face today as we dive into this topic is that when I can't just say we're talking about marriage and assume it's level ground. It's not. You've all approached the topic from somewhere else. In fact, even more, some of you are sitting, and when you think about marriage, it makes your stomach turn, because yours is not healthy. Some of you are thinking about marriage, and it makes your stomach turn, because your spouse has passed. 
Some of you think about marriage and your stomach turns because you're in your late 20s, early 30s, and you're not married and you thought you would be. Some of the teenagers are like, I can't wait. We all have different thoughts in our head. The reality is that those thoughts come from differing places and there's not an evil, even playing, playing field for us this morning that we're shaped by lots of different ideas. The unfortunate thing is that many of those ideas come from TV and movies. Many of those ideas come from people who, for good or bad, are sinners. So I want to do something a little radical this morning, if you can call it that. Let's just look in the Bible. Let's just look in the Bible and say, what's marriage in Scripture? You know, a lot of you can say, well, of course, Tommy, that makes sense. And yes, there's some sarcasm going on there. But in all seriousness, what I believe is that we have absolutely failed by allowing media and culture and neighbors and parents to be what shapes our understanding of marriage and not God's Word. We have failed because the primary way that we understand marriage is often by something other than Scripture. Now, Scripture can contribute here and there, and you might say, well, my parents love Jesus, and so that must be the... But let me just say this. I want to invite you this morning to crumple up and toss out movie clips, TV shows, and other images of marriage, because I want you to open up to hearing God's Word. I want you to open up to say, God, what would you say about marriage? Certainly, this is not what Tommy would say about marriage. Anyone who knows Tommy well enough knows that my marriage struggles as all marriages struggle. It's a difficult thing, marriage. We're going to talk about the way husbands and wives communicate. That's tough. But what I want you to hear, stronger than anything else as we start, is that our understanding of what a good marriage is must be shaped by God's Word. In fact, I would like for us to allow whatever space needs to happen in our minds or our hearts Allow some space there so that we could say, I want my understanding of marriage to rest on God's Word only. Now, the other stuff can kind of throw in like salt and pepper, but it's not the foundation. God's Word must be the foundation upon which our understanding of marriage is formed. So you're free to laugh if you're still hearing the word marriage instead of marriage. You're free to think about your parents' marriage. But what I want you to do is to create space to listen to God's word about what it has to say about marriage. Why? Because God created marriage. And we would be so foolish to know the creator of marriage and yet not seek his instruction for what it should be. You know, we can claim that we've read stuff in Scripture. We can claim that we um, are trying to be shaped by that. But let me tell you something. You're not going to get to this point where God's Word is what impacts you if you're trying to convince yourself that God's Word is what shapes your marriage. Don't convince yourself. Let it be. 
admit the places where you've allowed a book or a movie to shape your marriage. Admit that when you think about marriage, sometimes you think about leave it to beaver. Admit that when you think about marriage, that many things from non-scriptural places influence you. If you will not admit that, we can't ever take that next step to allow God's Word to do that. So admit that to God, to yourself. And then know that we want to dive into a scriptural foundation. Let me tell you that we can't do that all today. Um, I have 23 minutes remaining, and I cannot tell you everything in the Bible about marriage. No way on earth I could do that. That's why a lot of times when you go to a conference about marriage, it's usually over a weekend, sometimes a week. Um, I, I was curious as I was preparing this uh, talk this week, and I wonder how many people have actually been to like a conference or event on marriage. I, I wonder how many folks in our church have said it's worth my weekend and my time to, to go and, and participate in a marriage conference. I just wonder, like in your whole life, I wonder how many people have done that. If not, just like to say you should consider doing so. It's a great opportunity to, to do that. There are some events that, that I know of, and uh, my wife, uh, Leslie, we went to this one called Song of Solomon. It's by Tommy Nelson when we were engaged. That was kind of interesting. Um, so we went to that. It was at Freedom Hall in Johnson City. We were engaged. We went, and um, we participated in that event. Then after we were married, we went to this one by Family Life called Weekend to Remember, and, uh, and kind of went to that. Let me tell you, you listen to those things different when you're engaged than when you're married. Yeah, you all know. Yeah, you do. There are events, there are events by this guy named Gary Chapman, uh, five love language events. Um, he's got a book, but listen, I mean, you go to the event, you're gonna get, you're gonna get some focused in stuff. Let me just tell you, um, that, um, if you're, if you're already nudging your spouse, or you're thinking about that's something for you, maybe you just want to go, like, right away. And let me tell you, there, there's, you can hop right over to Chattanooga, for Weekend to Remember, October 26th through 28th. It's a family life. That's the website. Weekend to Remember. You can go to Chattanooga this month. And you could do it. Maybe that's too soon. Maybe you've got your plans. Maybe you would want to say, that's too far. I'll go to Asheville. Asheville, North Carolina is February 22nd through 24th. There's a Weekend to Remember there. Or you could say, like my wife and I did, if we're going to do this, like let's go somewhere. So we went to Charleston. Yeah. Uh, we went to Charleston, South Carolina, and we stayed, uh, the, the conference is in, a, in the Marriott down there, it's right near the water. Um, let me tell you, that's a great place for a marriage retreat. And so, if you want to do that one, that's November 30th through December 2nd. There are options abounding for you to take God's word in your marriage seriously. And to say, I don't want to be shaped by media, I don't want to be shaped by my neighbors, God, I want to be shaped by you. And for some of you, that might be the only takeaway point that you need to hear this whole sermon, is that you would allow God's word to shape your marriage. For some of you, that's, that's the thing for you today, is that God's word would do that. Now, many of you are saying, yes, that's what I want, that's what I want, and we're, and we're doing good with that. But we all must be willing to be shaped by God's word. That's the place where we can all look at this and say, we're on level playing ground there. We had different parents, we watched different things on TV, but we are on level playing ground with Scripture. So Scripture is what will become our guide, and that's the hope today. We're going to dig into one place where the uh, Scriptures talk about marriage in Ephesians 5. We're going to start in verse 22 of Ephesians 5. I would invite you to turn there with me. You can follow along on your, um, 
device that has the YouVersion Bible app, it will have that scripture there for you, and all the other scriptures I reference are in that app as well, so they'll already be pulled up for you. But you can also grab um, your own Bible, turn to Ephesians 5, it'll be up on the screen. Before we dig in there, I want to pray. Father, as we would look into your word, our request is that you would speak clearly, that you would allow us to hear from you, not from other voices that might be in our head, not from other experiences that would tarnish the way we hear your word today. So God, create the space inside of us because your Holy Spirit's there and allow us to hear truth from this passage in Ephesians. Amen. Ephesians 5:22. we're just going to read through verse 33. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, And let the wife see that she respects her husband. You be real with me and yourself for just a second. Let me just be real. When some of you heard the first two words of that passage, you checked out. First two words of that passage, you were done. Because the first two words of this passage, whether you are a Christ follower, whether you're not, whether you say, "I I believe in Scripture, or whether you say it's trash, most people know that part of the Bible. Because there are people that don't know anything about, about the Bible really, and they'll misquote this, but they'll get those first two words. Wives submit. This idea has taken over some things in our culture and has caused us to have this horrible reaction. And, and what happens, and, and what I fear, is that some of you are totally going to check out because of the first two words of Scripture. Folks, hear it clearly that Scripture does not teach that women are devalued. Scripture does not teach misogyny. Scripture does not teach that men are to command, lord, and belittle women. In fact, quite the opposite. Scripture teaches us to value women even more so that it was written originally in a society that did the opposite. You know, we look at scripture, uh, uh, we look at people who are commenting on scripture in the fourth century, 
not too long after this, still in a culture where wives were property, we, we look at people who are Christian commentators, commentators and they're saying the opposite. That was hard to say. Scripture does not teach that women are to be devalued. With a little bit of study, we know that the opposite is true. And in fact, what's going to happen is that if we check out because of those first two words, and we don't read this whole passage together, you're going to miss out on something quite incredible that God has planned for marriage. We can't erase those words. They exist. But what we can do is hear them in the context of what God's plan is for marriage, and that's my hope. It's been my prayer for you this week. I want to put a thought, with that in mind, put a thought in your head. This is not uh, my thought. There's a footnote there in your, um, in your bulletin for you that shows where this came from. But just some wording that I'd like for you to kind of, um, to kind of stick in your mind this morning this is the first fill-in there for you. It says, Headship is modeled on the way Christ loved the church, not on human systems. Of authority. Let me say that again. Headship is modeled on the way Christ loved the church, not on human systems of authority. We have this tendency that when we hear about submit, that we immediately begin to think about um, kind of where one ranks with the other. We begin to think about, um, well, uh, certainly then one's more important than the other, or one is more in charge than the other. And we've totally ignored. The illustration Paul gives, which is how Christ loves the church. There's more wording in here about Christ and the church than there is anything else. What happens, in fact, is that the wife is transformed from something that is really just an accessory, property. Certainly in that culture. The wife is transformed from someone who only exists to meet the husband's needs into a person who has an intrinsic value and worth and is the focus of the husband's concern. Instead of demanding that she would live for him, he begins to live for her and lift her up. Instead of holding her down, he begins to lift her up. Christian headship lifts up the wife as the rightful object of the husband's loving concern. Don't get lost in the first two words. You would miss out on a a remarkable view of God's plan for marriage. Let me just add one more side note, as if that wasn't enough. One more side note. Verse 21, if you're, in fact, if you're reading out of an NIV translation, verse 21 is like in the same paragraph that we just read. Um, Verse 21 is there, and it's for a reason that the NIV placed it in that paragraph. I'm going to tell you in just a second, but let's look at that. I'm going to read from the NIV. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This thought that we start with in verse 22, you see the way that that Greek, which is the language this was written in, the way that that worked, and many other languages work, is the verb is not always repeated in every sentence. So that verb submit, not always repeated in every sentence. And so verse 22, if you started to read that in Greek, and you didn't read verse 21, which mind you, there's no like actual markers, it all looks the same, the numbers are in our Bibles, not in Greek, you didn't know that, then uh, ask me about it later. Um, but if you started to read just right there where we marked 22, you would have no idea what the verb is because it's not there. The word submit is not in that part. The word submits in verse 21. 
So already from this, we begin by knowing that this is not a submission that, that is like a human authority. This is not submission that's rooted in the man over the wife. The thought is combined in the, in the whole context of the passage with what we would call agape love, Christ-like love, godly love. And it dispels any hint of misogyny. We must know that this call to wives to submit is not something that we could just overlook. It's not something that we can back off of. It's not the only thing that's going on here. Let me just tell you, we could play in some other scriptures, and these are um, just referenced in your bulletin, but uh, Colossians 3.18 and 1 Peter 3.1 are kind of echo this idea of the wives, um, uh, the, the call to submit. Um, but what's interesting is in Ephesians, in our passage today, there's no call for the wife to love the husband. Well, that doesn't mean that you could submit begrudgingly, because you are called wives to love, and that happens in Titus 2.4. So we can't just isolate and assume that this is all there is. This is a part of Scripture as a whole. But here's what I want you to grab. I want you to grab this understanding that this is not some kind of man-made structure of command. This is the acknowledgement that when a wife submits, that she acknowledges that, that the Lord is really the source of authority. The Lord is the source of the husband's authority. And what's happening in this passage is that Paul, the writer of Ephesians, is, saying, is, is kind of recalling people's thoughts back to Genesis. In fact, he even quotes Genesis 2.24 in verse 31. And as Scott has been telling us every week through our Family Life series, Genesis is like the foundation for what we understand family. And so we've been looking at that week after week after week. Genesis 2, Genesis 2. If you missed some of our sermons where we went through the book of Genesis, you could um, kind of go back in the archives and check that out. There's some great foundation in Genesis for how we understand family and even for how we understand marriage. What Paul wants us to know and he tries to make very clear, very clear by intentionally hearkening back to Genesis, is that he wants us to know that the design for marriage is not something that's man-made. It's not a Pauline opinion. It's not something that he would say, this is just what I think. He's trying really hard to make sure that that this is something that, that God has instituted. And that we can see that because we see that God is creator of man, God is creator of woman, and God is creator of marriage. Now let me tell you, inductive reasoning people, if God created men, God created women, and the thing that joins them together... I think he knows what he's doing. It's not an accident. So shame on us for looking anywhere else besides God's Word for what it means to have a healthy marriage. In a way, shame on us for looking at anything as the foundation. Even good books like like a Five Love Languages book. Even good books, shame on us if it's not resting on a godly scriptural foundation. Because what we've seen all throughout this Family Life series is that there's some real intentionality about how this image of what it means to be a family rests really heavily on the church. We've seen that. It's been challenging, I know, for me. It's been challenging for folks in my life group because we're looking at it and we're saying, okay, the church is a family, and then we're looking and think, well, heaven's a family, and we're supposed to look at the way the church is, and we're supposed to kind of say, well, the church is not a country club. 
It's not, in other words, what I would mean. We're supposed to say we're not just a bunch of little families who come into the same building and this is our community center. It's not like your neighborhood uh, community center. This is a family. This is a family unit that Scripture says is called a body of believers. We're learning to cast away these kind of uh, country club thoughts. We're learning to cast away these uh, what the world says is best thoughts. And it's starting to get real. We're digging into this family life. And, and what we're going to see just this week is the same as we've been seeing every week, is that the church becomes the illustration. The church becomes the illustration for how we live as family units in our own homes. And so Paul is very intentional to say, how do I submit? As the church submits to Christ. The church is the illustration. It's a high calling. Absolutely. But it's not one that the wives have by themselves. The husbands, Paul is going to elevate them to a Christ-centered calling as well. Let's talk about the church's submission. It's not something that's unwilling. And, and when I say church's submission, think about the way you follow Jesus or the way that we do that together. How do we follow Jesus? Now, now we, we showed that video at the beginning. We're not here because of tradition, because we have to. We're here because we want to, and we love it. So think about that. We submit to Jesus as the head of our church willingly and joyfully, not under some type of oppression or with this bitter heart. So the picture Paul gives is intentional. He says, wives submit like a church does to Jesus. And so we come here, and not only are we glad to submit to Jesus, we actually will sing songs about how glad we are to submit to Jesus. I don't mean your wife has to sing you a song. What's happening is that we have to discard poor illustrations. We have to throw away illustrations that we sometimes have. And let's be honest, sometimes we have this illustration that there's like this, um, this, this commander sitting on this royal throne who's drunk with power and who says, I demand that you would do and I command and everyone's just so pleased to do it. And sometimes we think about that as the illustration. Well, let me just tell you, the church doesn't look at Jesus like that. And certainly Jesus does not treat his church that way. You see, Jesus is not sitting on a throne, drunk with power, commanding and like hailing down fiery commands to us. It's given in love and grace. And it's marked by servitude. And when we see Jesus sitting on his throne as the rightful head of the church, he doesn't demand that we wash his feet while we cower down in front. What does he do? Quite the opposite. He demonstrates humility. So this picture of the church's interaction with Jesus is related to our marriages. And once again, as we have every week, we see that the church becomes the model for what our household families look like. And so what happens then is that just like we are loyal to the Lord and nothing can be so delightful for us as to obey Him, Suppose then that that same type of spirit characterized the wife's relation to her husband. Suppose then that she saw in him that everything that he did was an expression of love 
and that she obeyed out of a belief that it was her privilege, not her duty. Well, husbands, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on your passage, even though there's a lot of words in that passage, because if I did, I would ignore that there was an entire sermon last week about husbands, and that was good stuff. Um, There was a lot of stuff about the call to a man. And so let's kind of use this week to build on that. So I'm not like trying to shorten the husband's part as if it's not important. I'm just trying to say last week, yeah. Um, That's what I'm trying to say. I was good. And Scott even said last week that if we could reverse these, you know, he was really passionate about the man thing. And so I said, that's fine. I'll do husband and wife. Um, So we, we kind of did them in that order. But let me just say this. The husband's duty is to love as Christ loves the church. I don't have to tell you what that's like. You know that. It's plain and evident. But let me just give you a few tips about what that looks like. Ephesians 5, verse 2. Let's look at that. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. See, this role the man is called to, to love his wife as Christ loves the church, no small task. Christ's love for the church was self-sacrificing. It was serving those who were around him. It was a love for others that, re- that, that had him in a place where he yielded his own desires as a human for the needs of us. He actually then submitted of himself. It was an incredible thought to see how Jesus gave of his own desires to meet the needs of us. We know what Christ-like love looks like. Our New Testament is filled with it. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about love. Very familiar passage. The goal and the point of this whole thing where, where our call as husbands is to love our wives. The whole point is that this would become a love that would make it unnecessary to ever have the husband command his wife. Let me say that again. This is supposed to be a love that would make it unnecessary for the husband to ever command his wife. You see, we read this passage and we hear wives submit to your own husbands. And, you know, the counterpart is not husbands command your wives. Naturally, we think that sometimes. We think wives submit. Logical step, husband's command. Because if they're called to submit, I'm called to lead. But you know, the passage in there doesn't say for husbands to lead. There are, there are not instructions in there about how to be a good leader. The instructions are for how to love. This is not instructions for how to lead. This is instructions for how to love. And so where we naturally think wives submit, we think husband command or husband lead. The call is not for that. The call is to love. This is not a call to control. This is a call to love. You know, this is a place where a lot of folks will come and they'll say, uh, you know, Pastor, I'm just struggling. My wife doesn't read the first two words here. Wives submit. She's not seeing that. A lot of times the husband would say that because he feels like that he's leaning into this, well, I want to be um, the leader. And she's not following my lead. And then you kind of have to say, like, wake up. What does your part say? Love. Not command. Not lead. Now, that doesn't, again, negate what was said last week, where we have a men, we have a responsibility. 
We have a responsibility. This does not negate your responsibility. What we're saying is absolutely not just go buy roses, teddy bears, and candy, love, smoochy, smoochy, and no responsibility. We're not saying that. That's absolutely not the case. But what we are saying is this. That if we would kind of look at the interplay that's happening between husbands and wives here, we would begin to see that the the call between a husband, the call for a wife, creates a beautiful symphony of marital health. That if we we were to look at this and we say, what is the call? It's an interplay, how, how they play off of one another. That as the husband would fulfill his, the wife would fulfill hers, God has has scripted this incredible symphony of marital health. And if we get lost in pointing at the other, we're never going to hear that beautiful sound of marital health. The call is not the same. It's not saying both of you do the same. It's in fact very different, but what happens is how they interact and interplay where it begins to make a beautiful picture. We quickly will fall, if we're not careful, men into a managerial mindset, because that's how we hear things. Think about last week and think about how we focus so heavily on the work that we have that we think about how do I manage that? So you're like, how do I manage my household? And we need to drift away from management and we need to kind of think back towards loving. We need to drift away from this man-made order And we need to think about uh, the way that that Christ has loved us. We need to realize that humility is what's going to lead us to godly love. That, That the men must rise up to a challenge that's higher than being a manager of a home. We have to move away from the pride that sometimes is at the root of that. Because sometimes this is really just about us wanting somebody to listen to us. We've been told what to do all day at work. I just want somebody to listen to me at home. There are no instructions for controlling your wives. None. The instructions that are given are how to love. Now let me just say, when you read about you read this and you're thinking, that's a wonderful ideal, it's pie in the sky. Because the reality is my marriage is struggling. And let me just say, when I look at this, I see this great picture that God has formed up here, and I know like my marriage is somewhere down here. And we have this tendency to say, well, I'm going to go home and fix it right now. And we're like, I'm going to put on my suspenders, and I'm just going to fix it. And we're going to go home, and then what's going to happen is you're going to try really hard to get from like where you're at to that idea, that ideal that God has placed there, and you're going to find that you're just frustrated because you can't fix it. I mean, you might make a little bit of progress, notch up a couple of notches. Let me just throw out an idea for you. When you see where God has this here, and sometimes where our marriages are here, that tension that exists there between those two, something that we feel right away, men, I want to fix it. That tension that's there, instead of trying to resolve it, what if you just said that tension's good? What if that tension, instead of being something that's negative, could be something that's good? Let me help you register that. You know that passage in the Bible, that real annoying one that says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect? That's a terrible one. Because we look at that and we say, no way, no way, can't do it, not perfect. In the same way that that scripture is there for us to say, here's 
my desire. God would say, here's my desire and here's you. That we would see the tension, feel the tension. What if in your marriage, that this picture that's painted there, we can't, let's not try and pull it down. Let's allow it to gradually pull us up. Let's not try and resolve that tension fully because we probably never will. Sometimes that tension can be good. And so my challenge would be that you would kind of allow that tension to be a good thing for you in your marriage. And that you would not release the ideal that God has painted and then fall back into the way the world thinks and say, well, I'm I'm pretty good because I'm better than my neighbor." Or I'm pretty decent because we don't do that that they did on TV. Let's let that tension pull us to a, a higher place. Let it exist. It's there on purpose. So here's the key. Here's the blunt way of saying it. Don't check out. Don't say, it's impossible for me to do that, so I just am not going to try. Don't check out. Don't be content with sharing a room When you need to be sharing a relationship, don't be content to sit in your household and be okay with a poor marriage. God didn't design it for that. He designed it to be a thing of beauty. Don't check out. Don't quit. Let the tension be good. Let it pull you upward. I want to give you one last thought today. This is going to kind of stem from uh, this, this place in Ephesians 5.21, uh, this, this scripture that we read earlier, that this idea to submit, which is there in, in verse 21, it says submit to one another, that, that concept really just means that, that I'm going to yield my desires for the benefit of somebody else. That sort of like a, I'm going to yield my, the direction I'm headed and kind of yield it to someone else. That's really what we're talking about, the core of submission. So here's what I would ask you to do, that you would think about this and say, how can I use my resources, the trajectory of of my life? How can I use the stuff that I have? How can I use my time? How can I use my money? How can I use my influence in a way that honors Jesus by submitting to another? So married or not married? Adult or child, this is for you. One simple question. What can I do to help? What if you asked that? What if you went home today and you said out loud, what can I do to help? Well, if you're a child, your parent would faint. Um, And they'd sit down, give me a glass of water. Excuse me? And don't think like you have to wait to do that later. Like, I mean, just do it. It'd be fun. But you go home and you say, what can I do to help? In other words, what you're saying is, hey, I have a bunch of time and a bunch of energy. More energy than you do, old man. A bunch of energy. What can I do to help? Wives, what would happen if you said that to your husband? That you would say, what can I do to help? How can I use what I've been given, my resources, my energy, and my time to help? Husbands, what if you said that to your spouse? You're driving home from work and you call up on the phone or you send a, well, you're not supposed to text and drive, so you don't do that. 
but that you would you would drive home from work and that you would call and you'd say, just thinking, honey, what, what could I do to help? You see, men, sometimes we have more financial resources and that we would say, how can I use my money to help you? That's a dangerous question. But I'll tell you what, if we would begin to ask that question every day of one another, it could radically change our relationships with one another. If you would ask that question regularly to one another, it might revolutionize your household. And I'll tell you what it would do. It would make you look more like Jesus. You know, Jesus didn't say, I'm going to wait to help until I know that they're ready to accept it. Jesus didn't do that for us. But a lot of times we say, well, I can't ask my wife because she won't submit. A lot of times we say everything like this is some 50-50 thing. We'll meet in the middle and it'll be real pretty. As Christ to the church, as Christ to the church, he didn't wait for you to say yes before he died on the cross. He already gave. Husbands, don't wait for your wife to submit before you love. And don't do it halfway, hoping she'll meet you in the middle. Even if she never in your lifetime submits, you love with all you have. And wives, even if he never loves you a hint like Jesus, then you submit. Why? Because you're acting like Jesus. Because in those moments, we take on the person of Christ who said, I will give it all before you're ready to say yes. I will give it all before you say yes to me. And today, there are some of you who have not said yes to Jesus yet. And yet, he still is willing to give all for you. Maybe today is the day you say, putting down my walls, I'm saying yes to Jesus. There's an invitation we're going to have in just a moment, and that's for you to say yes to Jesus for the first time. Maybe likewise. You want to say, I kind of like this idea of family. I like this idea that this church is a family and I want to be a part of it. Adopt me into this. That this would be my family too. And that you would, as baptized believers, come forward, rest on the unification power of Jesus, and that you would say, place membership in this church today. The invitation for you, for those things, is here. If you'd like to come, come as we stand and sing together.